This is actually all of chapter 18 and the first seven verses of 19 and that we're going to, to look at today, which is just a few verses, but I think you can keep up. I know I need to end on time or a little early because I understand the game starts at one. And uh, so... <laughs> Huh? No NASCAR, so it's not a big deal, huh? <laughs> Everybody has their priorities, huh? Everybody has their priorities. You know, me, I like to go home and make an impression on my pillow. And uh, it works for me. Works for me. You know, I, I was just thinking about it. I, I, the, the story I'm, I'm trying to do for the kids, I'm taking it from the scripture, and then you hear Perry read the scripture. It reminds me of my training back when I was active army, is they said whenever you conduct a training, there's three things you need to do. Number one, you need to tell everyone what you're going to tell them. Number two, you need to tell them. And number three, you need to tell them what you told them. So that's what you get today. <laughs> okay, now go, imagine with me, if you will. Imagine yourself boarding a plane at Boston's Logan Airport. Okay. Your departure is 45 minutes late because it's Boston. Your plane has left. You have now reached your cruising altitude of 35,000 feet. You're well on your way to covering the 3,000 miles to arrive in San Francisco. The sun's beginning to set as you're landing, and you're coming into the city by the bay. Being an experienced traveler, you realize that you have just entered a world very different from the one you just left. You're now culturally light years out of the New England atmosphere. The historic, uh, sober environment that exists over Boston is kind of like the fog that rolls in over San Francisco. The cities are very different in social style, in attitude, in almost every way. Well, see, that same description can be used between Athens and Corinth. See, with, with minimal distance to travel between them, the cultural distance was huge. Athens was like Boston. It was an older city. Corinth, relatively new. So as Paul entered in under the Corinthian gates, he didn't see any major building that was over a hundred years old like he had seen back in Athens. Corinth had a stated population Focus on that word for me for a moment. A stated population of about 200,000 people. The largest city in Greece. And from what we're going to learn here in Acts 18, and when we get to the long, two long letters in Corinth, in that for Corinth, or the Corinthian church, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, if I ever get there, we can conclude that this city actually gave Paul his greatest challenge. Now, it really shouldn't surprise us then that he had to spend about a year and a half with them. Now, along with its commerce, 
Corinth was famous for its immorality. There's a combination for you, commerce and immorality. See, for nearly 500 years, the Greek verb to Corinthianize referred to sexual immorality. A situation that at its height happened in Paul's day. See, the city worshipped the usual pantheon of Greek gods uh, with a special focus on Aphrodite. She was the temple god or goddess and had a thousand sacred prostitutes. It also boasted temples to Apollo and uh, this is a hard word, Asclepius. Uh, he was the god of healing. Asclepius. Now Paul has left Athens and traveled the 50 miles to Corinth where he anticipates the arrival of Silas and Timothy from Macedonia. Uh, in fact, I think I have a map slide right there for you, right? Yeah. Uh, and then the arrow comes up. There's Corinth. I got tired of playing with the lasers. <laughs> I think those are easier to see. You're good. good. There's Corinth. You're okay. So he gets to Corinth and he is disheartened. Why is he disheartened? Because his ministry in Europe, Philippi, Berea, and Athens, has been disappointing. In fact, look at his description for it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. ESV says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. He was, he was not comfortable. He was not comfortable at all. Committed believers, I know you're going to struggle with this one, are not always on cloud nine. Not always bubbling over with joy. So Paul arrives in Corinth, and he's not just exhausted and discouraged, he's also broke. Sounds like a normal missionary, doesn't it? Yeah? Yeah. However, God provides him lodging with a believing Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, which is modern Turkey, who recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Now they're both tent makers, as we, we already know that, and, and so Paul is also a tent maker, so that helps to meet his financial needs. So Paul begins to work at his trade of tent making. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Now tent makers also repair all kinds of leather goods, not just tents, so they could also be described as leather workers. Right? Uh, <laughs> leather workers. Okay, I got to share this with you. This is this is one of those dumb ones. My uh, when I was growing up, I was kind of a. I know this will surprise you. I was a bit of a handful, and uh, my dad always promised me one or two specific gifts for my birthday. And they were leather goods, a belt in the mouth and a boot in the rear. That was, that was the gifts. They were, he'd go see a leather worker and take care of that for me. Anyway, I told you it was dumb, but that's just how I was raised. You know, and okay, so we, we find in this chapter, at least in the remainder of it, beginning in verse 4 and moving on, that it contains three principles to aid in expanding God's kingdom. Okay? So here it is. Principle number one. You have to tolerate difficulties. You have to tolerate difficulties. Paul was working during the week 
And then he goes to the synagogue each Sabbath and tries to convince the Jews and the Greeks to believe the gospel. And when Silas and Timothy arrive from Macedonia, then Paul spends all his time preaching the word and testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. That's verses 4 and 5. What changed? Why is Paul now able to devote all his time to preaching? Well, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9. It says, and when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. You see, Timothy and Silas arrived, and they supported him so that he could spend his time in ministry. Now, one of the primary difficulties Paul had to deal with is that the Jews refused to believe him. In fact, they opposed him and insulted him. Now many of you have never really experienced the type of opposition Paul was getting from them. Because you might not have ever tried to witness to someone that is hostile to your belief. Many of you have probably been insulted in your life. Heck, I've probably done it while you were here. Not intentionally, but you know. But it can it can really upset your plan. In fact, look with me at verse six in Acts chapter eighteen. Verse six. He says, But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go preach to the Gentiles. What would that be like? What would that be like? To have someone stand in front of you like I'm doing today. And not receive what was being said to the point that they just said, that's it, you're on your own, I'm out of here. The story is told of a young preacher that went into a church. and uh, had been in this older established church and he, go in, he went in and, and the first Sunday he preached a, a message and it was strong and powerful and man, they loved it. Next Sunday he gets up and he preaches the same message again. The leadership said, well, you know, everybody can make a mistake sometimes. Maybe he's just got the wrong notes. Third Sunday, he preached the same message again. The leadership went to him after the service, and they said, hey, why are you preaching the same message over and over? He said, well, when you start doing what I said in the first one, I'll get to the second one. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that valid? Because sometimes we don't. You know? And trust me, I know if the three, that when one's doing this, three are doing this. Because I'm, I'm the most guilty of not doing what we're supposed to be doing. But Paul told him, that's it, folks. Your blood be on your own head. I'm going to go preach to the Gentiles. So he leaves the synagogue and goes next door. I think he just insulted them back. He goes next door to the home of, uh, of Justice, who is probably a Gentile who worships God and attends synagogue. Now, Crispus is the guy who's the leader of the synagogue. 
We all know that he actually, he and all his family accepted Christ. And they, they, they enjoy hearing Paul speak and they believe in the Lord. And there's many others in Corinth who hear Paul and, and, and seek and come to be believers and get baptized. We know that from verses 7 and 8. But Crispus gets a special privilege. A special privilege. We have to find that in 1 Corinthians again, chapter 1, verse 14. Paul says, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. You see, he got baptized by Paul. Paul didn't do that. That's a special privilege. That's a special setting aside. So the conversion of Crispus and the other Corinthians, as well as Paul's growing ministry next door to the synagogue, eventually incites opposition. Imagine that. Now again, this causes Paul to begin to fear for his life. So the Lord speaks to him in a vision. Tells him, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking the gospel. He assures Paul no one will harm him. He also says something else to him. And it's in Acts 18, verse 10, the last part. He said, I'm with you. No one will attack you or harm you. Why? Because I have many people in this city. See, our omniscient Lord knows there are many in Corinth who will believe. We just covered what that word was all about on Wednesday, two weeks ago, so everybody should be up to speed. Oh, if you're not, by the way, we meet at Wednesdays at 6.30. You know? In fact, this Wednesday, we're going to be looking at the six things Satan doesn't want you to know. Enough of a teaser, let's move on. So the Lord calms Paul's fears, and Paul stays for a year and a half. And he teaches the Word of God. Now, during this time, actually, Paul writes the first two of his epistles or letters, First and Second Thessalonians. So after a year and a half of relative peace, then this guy named Galeho becomes governor of Achaia. The Jews seek to charge Paul with promoting a religion, a religion not approved by Roman law. When Paul's ready to get up and defend himself, Galeo tells the Jews if this dispute involves some serious crime, he would accept their case but since it's a matter of Jewish law, take care of it yourself. And he drives them out of the court, verses 12 through 16. But what happens in verse 17 is a very strange thing. All the Greeks turn on Sosthenes. Now Sosthenes is the, the leader who took over the synagogue for Christmas. And right in the courtroom, they beat him. And the governor does nothing. That's interesting law, isn't it? Does nothing. What did that incident reveal to us, though, folks? It revealed the strong anti-Jewish feelings among the Greeks. Possibly because the Jews refused to participate in sexual immorality. I mean, we know that that was a huge part of the Corinthian culture and commerce. 
Okay, so here's Paul again. He stayed for a good while. He begins to say goodbye to the brothers, and he sails to Syria on his way to Antioch. Look with me at verse 18. We're in Acts 18 still, verse 18. So Paul, having stayed on for many days, said goodbye to the brothers and sailed away to Syria. Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He shaved his head at Sancria because he had taken a vow. Some people don't ever pay attention to that verse right there. I'm not really sure why. You see, Luke tends to like to interrupt his travel log a little bit, and he interrupts it right here to tell us that at Sancria, which is the eastern port of, of Corinth on the Aegean Sea, Paul had cut his hair. That was marking the end of a Nazarite vow that had required leaving his hair uncut. Uh, the, the Nazarite vow, if you want more information on that, is in Numbers chapter 6, if you would like to look there. I believe I have another slide to pop up there right now with another thing. There it is. See, he's getting ready to leave Corinth, and he's heading to uh, Sancria. Now, Paul's cutting his hair actually tells us that apparently it takes some time for the early Jewish believers to abandon some of the practices of the Old Covenant. So now Luke returns to his narrative, his travel log, if you will, for us. He's telling us, uh, telling us that Paul and his companion, companions, they first sail to Ephesus, where he engages in a short ministry. Uh, in the synagogue. And when he's asked to stay longer, Paul declines. However, there he leaves Priscilla and Aquila. They stay behind to, to do the ministry, telling the Ephesians that he will come back later, God willing, and then he sets sail. Now, when he lands at Caesarea, he goes to greet the church. And then he returns to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, he begins his third missionary journey. By going back to Galatia, which is modern-day central Turkey, and Phrygia, which is western Turkey. And while he's there, he visits and strengthens all the disciples. Okay, so expand God's kingdom, we have to tolerate difficulties. Paul has had his share. Second thing, you have to train fully. You have to train fully. See, Luke once again interrupts his record of Paul's journey to relate an incident that takes place in Ephesus. You see, while Paul is traveling, Priscilla and Aquila continue ministering in Ephesus. And now we hear from Alexandria, which is the capital of Egypt, that uh, this eloquent speaker named Apollos has just happened onto the scene. That's from verse 24. Now, since he's in Alexandria, Apollos is cultured and trained in philosophy and in speech-making. As a Jew, he also knows the Old Testament. He's been taught the way of the Lord, and he teaches others enthusiastically. In the Ephesian synagogue, Apollos boldly proclaims what he knows about Jesus, but he does not know about Christian baptism. He only knows about the baptism of John the Baptist. In fact, look with me at verse 26, Acts, chapter, Acts 18, verse 
26. New Living Translation says, When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God more, even more accurately. So now, Paul has been there. He wants to move on and he wants to go to Achaia, which is in western Greece. The Ephesian brothers encourage him to go, and they write a letter to the Achaean believers asking them to welcome him. When Paul, Apollos arrives, he greatly helps those who have believed. See, Apollos powerfully, excuse me, refutes the Jews in public, uh, proving that from the Old Testament that the Jesus is the Christ in verses 27 and 28. So we have to tolerate difficulties. We have to train people fully. And the third thing is that we have to take away mix-ups. Yeah, it's good English, huh? Didn't want to break my alliteration of T's. So while Apollos remains in Corinth, Paul travels from Galatia to Ephesus. He spends... A lot of his time there, he's on his third missionary journey. He finds some disciples uh, and asks them if they have received the Holy Spirit since they have believed. They tell him that they have not even heard of the Holy Spirit. Sounds like a Baptist church, huh? Yeah. They haven't even heard of that. Then Paul asks them with what baptism they were baptized, and they say with the baptism of John the Baptist. You see, these men are disciples of John the Baptist, not Jesus. We find in, in other places that Luke uses the word disciples to describe John's followers. He does it in Luke chapter 5 and in Luke chapter 7. Now learning that they are really Old Testament believers, Paul explains John's baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who is to come after him, who is Jesus. Look at their reaction in verse 5. Acts chapter 19, verse 5. After they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It wasn't hard to get them to understand what they needed to do. I've shared with people for years before they finally admitted they needed to be baptized. The first step of obedience after accepting Christ, and they never would do it. Now, like the converts... In Samaria, back in chapter 8, the Ephesian disciples receive the Holy Spirit when an apostle, this time Paul, lays his hands on them. The men begin speaking with tongues and prophesying. That's verses 6 and 7. Now, folks, this is the last time speaking in tongues is mentioned in the book of Acts. It's the last time it's mentioned. Now, why did they speak in tongues? Well, at that time... That was the clear affirmation that they were saved. Nowhere in the New Testament are believers commanded or exhorted to speak in tongues. But, but many mistakenly try to duplicate that experience. Today, those who have the, truly have the Holy Spirit actually display the nine components of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and the fruit of the Spirit, of course, is a word picture of Jesus. They're from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Uh, 
Uh, it says, uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I know a lot of people that I'm positive have given their heart to the Lord, have received the Holy Spirit at their acceptance, have been baptized, are doing their best, but they don't possess many of those qualities. But that's the evidence for today. You know, I have a lot of times, there's a lot of people that you know, I love them, I just don't like them a whole lot. And some days I don't have a lot of joy. Sometimes I don't cause a lot of peace. And I'm not going to say that other P word after it. Because we all know I have none of that. If I want something tomorrow, I'll order it tomorrow. Kindness. I'm trying to learn how to be kind. Uh, my wife handles most of that department. Goodness. <laughs> Anybody struggle with goodness? Yeah, struggle with just trying to be good? I, I do. Faithfulness. I have more faith today than yesterday, and I know I'll have more tomorrow because I have to. And not because of my job, folks, but because I serve the living Lord who said, place your faith in me and I'll take care of it. And my faith grows. Gentleness. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Gentleness. Self-control. Self-control. You ever tried to practice delayed gratification? No, got a credit card. Self-control. But those are the fruit of the Spirit. That's Jesus. If we are to name the name of Christ, if we are to call ourselves a Christian, what does that mean? It means we are to emulate, we are to be like Christ, to grow like Christ, to be a little Christ. That's the struggle. You know, if you're not struggling with any of those, then there's another one you're probably struggling with that's not listed up there. I think it's called lying. We have to tolerate difficulties if we're going to expand the kingdom. Because there's going to be difficulties. There's difficulties inside the church. There's difficulties outside the church. Inside the church, we should have less because we should be more in the word and less in the world. But we all struggle with that one too. We need to train people fully. That's why we have things like Sunday school. Discipleship training, Bible studies on Wednesdays to train so that everyone can be prepared because we're told in his word that we should always be ready to give what? Come on, I'm asking you a question. Or did, 
to give an explanation of the joy that's within us. We should be ready to share. Well, how do you share if you don't know? I'm just asking. And we need to help people understand cleanly, avoid being mixed up about things. I know so many people that are really good at taking Scripture out of context to make it mean what they want it to mean. And we all know if you take a text out of context, it's nothing but a pretext. Folks, when God opens doors, the enemy tries to close them. And then there's times when we close the door ourselves. You know, a lot of times we give Satan way too much credit. He is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere. Sometimes we just get discouraged and quit. But if you'll notice in Acts 18 here, as Paul ministered in Corinth, the Lord gave him the encouragement that he needed to keep him going. These same encouragements are available to us today. All you have to do is ask for it. Ask, seek, knock. It's not hard. But we don't do it. I don't mean to sound like I'm coming down on anybody. I'm coming down on me because I'm the one that struggles with this stuff. You guys are all perfect. I just want to close with this one quote. I think I put it in your outline, I hope. By A.W. Tozer, the church's mightiest influence is when, is felt when she is different from the world in which she lives. If we're going to influence people, we need to be different than they are. We should be people of the way. Amen? Amen? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. God, Father, we, we know that you challenge us with each word. I know that you gave Paul such challenges in what he needed to do. See, he was sharing and, and feeling rejected, and as he kept sharing, and they were insulting him, and then they took him to court. Father, I pray that if we are taken to court, there's enough evidence to convict us of being a Christian. But I pray right now, Father, for every person that is right here in front of me right now, I pray, Father, that you touch them in a way that they cannot deny they've been touched by you today. Whether it's on the tear on their cheek, the lump in their throat, the uneasiness in the chair, but they have, they have been touched by you and your word in Scripture. For you gave it to us to study so that we can exhibit those wonderful traits of your Son of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. And I pray you help us grow to be that. Right now, Father, I just pray that if there is anyone right here this morning that cannot look inside themselves and honestly say, I am a true follower, of Jesus that before we finish this invitational hymn 
talk to us so that we can help them find their way. In your son's name.